Hello and welcome to episode 12 of Passing Places, my personal podcast about my travels around Scotland, mainly by motorhome but also by motorcycle, and with some hill walking thrown in for good measure, and this time the episode is mainly about my hill walking. I'd like to thank Myra Green for the music. I've still to find the time to review her whole CD called Passing Places, so I'm hoping to find the best bits and add some fade-ins to the podcast in the coming weeks. Now, I always mention the audio, and you can probably hear the rain. I'm sitting in my van on Loch Lomond side. I've come over today from Arakar, which is the main focus of this week's episode. And I've come over here because I know I can get good Wi-Fi. I had no signal at all over in Loch Long and Arakar. So I'm here for one night only. And then it's the bank holiday weekend. So I think a lot of places will be pretty busy. And I'm off down to Port Patrick, lovely little fishing village in Dumfries and Galloway. So I'm really glad that you can join me for episode 12 and I I really appreciate the fact that you're listening. I've mentioned a number of times the benefit of people leaving iTunes reviews and iTunes ratings and I've now got, I think, eight reviews on iTunes. Well, seven, seven reviews and one rating. But I'd completely forgotten that the iTunes store is... Uh, on various platforms in different countries. So I only see the UK version. I can, if I can get my PC working again, open up iTunes and check the American uh, iTunes store, the Australian iTunes store, and so it goes on. I think there's probably, I'm guessing, 10 or maybe more iTunes um, platforms. So depending on where you are in the world, if you remember Kate's audio last week, I know that Kate's left me a review but it must be on the Australian iTunes store. So if I've missed anybody, including Kate, then my apologies. Maybe one day soon I'll get to go through all the iTunes stores and see if I can pick up any other reviews or ratings. So if you do listen through iTunes, please uh, leave me a review and a rating, and it does help tremendously in keeping the podcast visible and allowing other people to get the chance to find it. So... Obviously, I'm hoping that the more people who listen, the more worthwhile the whole exercise becomes. Now, I left you last week in chasing red squirrels in Gillies Wood near Canvas Barn. And where did I go after uh, there? On Friday, I was hoping to go off to Dumfries and Galloway, and I ended up speaking to my brother-in-law, Dermot, who I've spent the last few weekends with in their new van. And he was going over to Musselburgh for the weekend, which is a it's a big surprise destination for me. It's just on the outskirts of Edinburgh, not a place I would ever think of going in my van. But his wife and my sister Katie was working in Edinburgh, so the decision was made very quickly. And we agreed to meet at a campsite on the shore at Musselburgh. And we had quite a good weekend. It was a... It was a very relaxed campsite, not too many rules and it wasn't too busy and things like dogs barking and people who obviously stay there most of the year. It was one of these places that was quite lived in, but I think it's very popular 
because of its proximity to Edinburgh. I think uh, it has a very international flavour for most of the year, certainly around the festival and fringe periods where there's a local bus service takes you into the city. So if you're looking to visit Edinburgh on a budget, you're a backpacker, perhaps you should check out the caravan and campsite at Musselburgh. And I can't remember the name offhand, I'll put it on the show notes. But it was a very quiet weekend. I did consider going over to Rosalind Chapel. And I'm sure if you've read um, Dan Brown's The Finchie Code, you'll, you'll remember the whole novel. I think reaches a climax at Rosalind Chapel. And herein lies the tale, because since that book was published, the chapel has been swamped, inundated by visitors. And the family who own the, the church have set up a charitable trust, and they've attracted quite a lot of public funding through the lottery and other sources to carry out major restoration and renovation work. But I ruled out going, if I'm honest, because I like to get away from crowds and queues and it's so popular apparently that it's a situation where you're going to end up in a big car park and you might even have to queue to get in. And what really put the final nail in it for me was there's no photography allowed. So as well as your £9 entrance fee, uh, the whole development of the visitor experience, I think is the terminology the, the tourist board might use, is that you have a one of these very modern cafes and a shop and all sorts of facilities. So I tend to avoid those types of places if I can, but I did check on TripAdvisor and the reviews were very positive. People in the main found it a really uh, enjoyable visit, so please don't be put off by my own prejudice about crowds. I just like to try and find some of the more quieter and remote areas and off the beaten track, so I decided not to go to Rosalind Chapel. One thing that I would queue for, although not a very long queue, is ice cream and Musselburgh's uh, Luca's Cafe is one of these Italian cafe restaurants where you can get your pizza, your lasagna and your homemade ice cream and it has a, a Scottish wide reputation for good quality handmade or homemade ice cream. So we did pick up some ice cream from Luca's on the Saturday evening. So that was probably the main highlight of the weekend, a very quiet weekend, some fantastic weather on Saturday. The first day for many weeks where you could almost sit outside in the sunshine. So really enjoyed the weekend with Katie and Dermot and came back on the Sunday. That noise is um, in a, on a pitch on a campsite and the adjacent pitch is a family in a, what do you call these things, a trailer, tent. So... I'm not sure what they're doing because I've got all my blinds closed. As well as the rain, you might hear some neighbours opening and shutting doors. That's the the joys of recording on location. <laughs> so, where was I? I was talking about Musselburgh and Lucas Ice Cream. One of the memories of the weekend was the, the trip around the Edinburgh Ring Road in the Friday rush hour. 
it just brought home to me all the reasons why I try to escape the busy places and I was probably a little bit stressed out by the time I got back by the time I got to the campsite I was almost back in work mode I should have been instead of pitching up at a campsite I should have been pitching up in a hotel and checking that my secretary had made a booking and be deciding whether I was going to sit in my room all night on my own or whether I would take on the challenge of going down for dinner. Anyway, I digress. This week's episode is all about um, Arakar, which is a village on Loch Long, if you know your map of Scotland. Uh, it's just off the central belt on the west side. And that reminds me, I've updated the website and put uh, an interactive map on the website. So in future... I forget that it's my own backyard, but in future, if you go onto the website, all the episodes of Passing Places will be highlighted on a a Google map. So if you're thinking about visiting Scotland, you can have a quick look at the map and say, is there an episode that's been recorded near where I'm going? Or if you're just having a little browse, a surf around the map, you can pick up the episodes and navigate my site from the map. So myself and some friends had plans to climb the Cobbler, uh, proper name I think is Ben Arthur, which is a mountain just uh, at the top of Loch Long, and it's a, it's a very dramatic mountain and it's one of the most popular hills to climb in Scotland. But if you know, or if you don't know anything about Scotland and how the hills are classified, the Hills are known in terms of Monroe's are the mountains that are over 3,000 feet. And the number of Monroe's, it moves around a little bit as the technology for measuring height improves, but I think there's roughly 280 or 283 Monroe's, which are hills or mountains over 3,000 feet. And the classification below that is from 2,500 feet to 3,000 feet, which are called Corbett's. So the cobbler is just a little bit short of uh, 3,000 feet, so it's a, it's called a corbett. And for that reason, quite a few people give it a miss and climb the adjacent uh, Monroe, because in Scotland there's this whole hobby of what they call bagging Monroes or climbing Monroes. But the cobbler, I think, is about 2,900 2, feet or 2,890 feet. So it doesn't miss the 3,000 foot classification by much. But I do, the older I get, the more I think that classifying things, listing things, top tens, it's, uh, well, it's, it's rank. <laughs> that's, that's my joke for the episode. But uh, I prefer to just look at each location, each mountain or each uh, village or beach in its own merits. There's no real value in trying to distill them down into lists of your top five or your top ten. So as I say, Arakar is a small village on the top of Loch Long, which is a sea loch. Now, most people recognise or will have heard of Loch Lomond. So if you head up the side of Loch Lomond, which is a freshwater loch, uh, and you reach Tarbert, the A82 takes a right and heads on up into the highlands via Crianlarich. But if you stay on that road, which is the becomes the A83, you go through a, a glen just a couple of miles and you pop out at the top of the sea loch at the village of Arakar. 
And Arica, it's a, I think it's quite a nice little village. It, it both suffers and benefits from the fact that the eighty three is the main artery, the main route through into Argyll. So it gets a huge amount of passing trade throughout the year, both from people who are working and delivery vans, but also people in holiday during the tourist season. And there's a little campsite there which is it's been there. I, I I was trying to find it on the internet and I ended up on a an Argyll and Butte Council web page with the registration of the campsite in 1962 or something. So when I was just uh, a babe or a baby, this campsite opened and I'm not sure it's been developed much in terms of its uh, profile since. So it's one of these little quirky campsites. They've just built a new toilet block and uh, a roadside uh, wooden cabin cafe next to the petrol station. So it, it does me for a fry up for breakfast good toilet block facilities and there's lots of caravans, static homes of all descriptions and ages so it's got a very sort of a uh, patina is a really good word, uh, a sort of lived in, um, you know, tired, worn out but still developing slowly with the time so I would recommend it with the one exception being the road noise. There are heavy goods vehicles really early in the morning um, taking sea, you know, all our produce from the west coast, our shellfish and our seafood is all trundling down past Arica at uh, six o'clock in the morning. So I arrived in Arica about five o'clock on Tuesday evening and decided I'd just have a quiet, quiet evening in the van, go for a wander with the dog. And we went out and wandered around the top of the loch along, there's a little footpath around the, the side of loch long. But there's also a footpath heads up Glen Loyne. In fact, that's the name of the campsite, the Glen Loyne Caravan Park. And later on, it was about midnight, I was still wide awake, so I decided to take uh, Skid out for a midnight walk. And again, I was thinking 10-15 minutes, a little toilet stop for him and then off to bed. But I'll play you a little recording just now, which was we ended up half a mile up the glen. By this point, maybe 12.30am, and maybe I'm getting a bit mad in my old age, but uh, have a little listen to this little bit of recording. Skid and I on a midnight walk in Glenloyne. We're staying in Arica, which is at the very top of Loch Long, which is a sea loch. It's only two miles through the glen from Loch Lomond. But we decided to head out for a, well, I thought it was a 15 minute walk, but we ended up heading up a, an old track that I have been up before. It's actually a very long walk, maybe. 10-15 miles depending on what version you do but we're probably half a mile out of the village and we're looking back at Arica and there's some stars in the sky but what's really probably annoying me is the orange street lights there's no reason for them it's probably a throwback to the days when it was possible to light streets 
technology was available and people have got used to the whole idea of streetlights but I, I think I've talked before about stranger danger but there's nobody walking these streets it's a tiny village this is the main road from Glasgow to Argyll and there's a car it's probably half a mile away here it comes, it'll take a little while to get here so it's ruining my audio but I'm standing in my little stream and Skid and I about five minutes ago we flushed out a male fox you can tell a male fox because it's so much bigger big, big, big bushy tail and quite uh, arrogant so I stopped in the track and looked at us and then shot off into the bushes so there's the car in fact there's two, there's one coming the other way so I'll probably have to cut this audio out but we're going to walk back down to the van and I've got two I'm in two minds about tomorrow I'm not fit for the cobbler which is Ben Arthur but I'm also looking forward to the chance to get back into hill walking and if the weather's in like today and it won't be as good as today but if the weather's reasonable there'll be some fast, some fantastic views so we're as I say we're standing on a little track and I left my head torch so if I say we're in complete darkness I can see the orange glow down the glen but if somebody wanted to walk up behind me and well not even going to talk about that <laughs> um, <laughs> They'd probably terrified to see some guy with a, an Olympus audio recorder and a Jack Russell. They'd probably run a mile. So I'm just going to switch this off. In fact, we'll walk away from this little burn so you can hear the audio without the stream. And then we'll, I think we'll quickly walk back down the track and, and get some sleep. So that's a bit better. We just moved away from the, the stream that was standing next to I think it said the stars are out, I can see the plough. But that orange light is so annoying. Anyway, enough. So on Wednesday morning I was busy texting and tweeting my pals to say, look, take your time coming up. The, the deal was they were arriving at 11 o'clock. But the weather forecast, and I, I do not recommend, if you want to know the weather in Scotland, following any of the major broadcast media in terms of the television you want to jump onto Google and type in MWIS which is the Mountain Weather Information Service and it will tell you what information that the BBC and ITV and all these other channels know already but don't actually localise for you which is the forecast specifically for your area and it's for climbers and mountaineers it's serious stuff but it, it gives you all the information you need and it's usually very, very accurate because it's updated uh, at least daily. And if there's any unforeseen changes, then it'll update the site even faster. So I knew that the the morning was going to be heavy rain. And the longer the day went on, the better the weather would get. So it seemed pointless trying to climb the mountain early in the day through the rain and risk the chance of reaching the summit without any views because the mist and the cloud would be down. So as luck would have it, as usual my pals were late and we headed off about 12 o'clock 
And the guide said, not the guide in terms of a person, the guidebook said that it would be roughly 46 hours. Now there was five of us and our average age is probably about the mid-40s. And it took us just under seven hours. So we took our time with plenty of stops. And I forgot to mention that one of the party was 17. So that probably explains the fact that uh, <laughs> that it took nearly seven hours. But the funny thing was, as we headed off in the sunshine, as it was at 12 o'clock, it was sort of take the coats off, roll the sleeves up, think about taking your fleece off and getting onto your t-shirt and toiling up the zigzags through the woods and warm uh, heat and sweating. And then as we go out into the open moor in the valley between the mountains, the rain started, there was a bit of a wind and the jackets were on and off, the sun was popping in and out and it was uh, one of these all weather Scotland days. And as we got nearer the main um, massive part of the, the peak, the snow started. So from about 700 metres up we were uh, came across a couple of maybe more sleet than snow. And when we finally summited, that sounds grand, but when we finally got to the top of the cobbler, the sun broke out and we sat for probably a good half hour on the top and we were back in summer again. So Scotland has this amazing ability to throw every season at you across a day, particularly if you go hill walking. But what a majestic uh, mountain. There's at least three peaks on the top of the cobbler, one of which which is totally inaccessible unless you're a mountaineer or a climber, because you would need ropes. One of them you can do is a scramble, which involves a bit of uh, hand work. And, I mean, I have a total fear of heights, so... If they developed a tablet for vertigo, I'd probably take two. And the other peak you can get on the top. So the views, the mountain itself, the 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 topography, those it's all big jagged rocks and crags. It's a fantastic uh, hill to be on the top of, and it looks spectacular from any location down below or from any other adjacent hill. It's just a really, really... Uh, one-off mountain. So it was a great experience to be up there and to get the good weather. We took a really steep uh, return route back down off the the top. So that involved a fair bit of jiggery-pokery in terms of trying to find your feet and there's a, quite a lot of um, loose boulders and uh, little um, drops, little cliff faces of 20 feet so you've got to work your way around them and get down the side of them and I had skid on a short lead and I thought you know if I let him off then he's not going to pull me over and I'm not going to fall but equally he might just take a header off one of these uh, drops so I had him on a short lead I had one stick had my uh, digital camera hanging off my neck so it was quite a quite a, an experience coming down off the cobbler and by the time we got back, as I say, it took nearly seven hours. And it's a long walk in and a long walk back. But the five of us and the... Was there ever five musketeers? The five should be mentioned. There's my pal, Paul, who I regularly walk with. And his son, Alan, who's the 17-year-old. And Alan was doing the leading from the front, because he's young. Paul was doing all the provisions and the food. 
Bill, who's Paul's brother, is the health and safety manager, and his wife, Mo, came along. It was the day after her birthday, so it was a birthday treat for Mo to uh, climb the cobbler. And it was her first outing for some time, so that helped me along, because I hadn't been out on the hill since the winter skills day we had on Meal Nan Termakin in Loch Tay. Now when I, before I started podcasting, I used to use days and weeks like everybody else, but I'm now um, measuring time by episodes, and I think it was episode six. So that was five or six weeks ago. And to enjoy her walking, you have to go every week or every, you know, preferably two or three times a week if you can. So I was really out of condition. And I got back to the van and was completely exhausted. Had a shower and fell asleep and woke up freezing, lying on the couch at three o'clock in the morning with no heating on. So I'm still recovering. My legs are sore and my muscles are sore. And I'm a bit of a grumpy old man today. So if you're visiting Scotland, or if you live in Scotland and you enjoy a bit of hill walking and you haven't uh, tackled the cobbler, I would certainly recommend it in terms of the drama of the top. It's a fantastic little peak. It's a fair walk in, as some Monroes are, and because you're walking from sea level, because Loch Long's a sea lock, although it's a corbett, it's a far stiffer climb and many of them in rows where you get the advantage of starting at a, a higher level because you're already within a mountain range and you're maybe a thousand feet up at the starting point. I was talking earlier about the you know the the ranking of things and I asked that question about uh, your favourite place in Scotland. I asked people on Twitter and on Facebook, and a few shout outs I'd like to give just now as I. One of the people that replied was Russ, who's a guy I haven't seen in uh, 30, just over 30 years. He lives in New Zealand now, and he loves Crail. And I was talking to him on the website about the episode I'd recorded in Crail, and that's his memories as a, a youngster being on the same campsite. So thanks, Russ, for giving me that uh, mention about Crail, and... He also lived in Carnoustie and I've promised him to, I'll send him a photograph of the house he lived in the next time I'm passing through Carnoustie. I've also mentioned CT before, who's um, Campbell Troop. He sent me a voicemail a couple of episodes ago and he talked about a couple of places. He mentioned Rogart in Sutherland. He was talking about how he loved Sutherland. And the funny coincidence there is I lived just... Uh, well, I lived in Easter Ross, but I lived near Tain, just on the south side of the Dornock Bridge for a number of years, and I spent a lot of time in Sutherland. But when I bought my house, I I actually put an offer in on a cottage in Rogart. And he was telling me how he had a cottage in Rogart for a number of years, so it's uh, unlikely it was the same one, but uh, there's not that many people live in Rogart. But I know the, the place well, and I fished the Kyla Sutherland for many years for salmon so I can recognise why he loves or why he likes Sutherland if you compare it to Caithness and I think I probably was on a little bit of a downer about Caithness the last time but Sutherland has got fantastic hills and salmon fishing and 
Oh, it's just a great place. And by the time you get into the flow country, which is Caithness, things start to get a bit more um, monochrome in terms of the landscape. But that's uh, that's how that's how that's got its own beauty in its own ways. But uh, he was talking about Rogart and Sutherland, but he also said he liked Ayrshire. And again, I've uh, I've got a house and lived in Ayrshire for a number of years. And he said he'd like to finally move to Troon. And I know Troon very well, and uh, actually through my work I used to have an office or a presence down in that area. And I was walking along Troon Beach probably four or five months ago. And I've been through Troon in recent weeks as well, so it's a small world. So thanks Campbell for your um, information and your feedback about Sutherland and Ayrshire. Both tick the boxes for me. Uh, an old colleague of mine, again I haven't seen her for many years, although we keep trying to bump into each other. Uh, Myrid has been in touch and Myrid, great Scottish name. Uh, she is currently in Australia and she mentioned Quirang. I think Quirang is the way I would say it, which is a fantastic, um, how would you describe it? Uh, it's a set of uh, rock pinnacles and formations and sky. Uh, it's a really magical place. It's, uh, in fact, you, I can't describe it. You'll have to go into Google and type in uh, Quirang. I think it's Q-U-I-R-E-I-N-G. -Q and as soon as you go into Google and look at Google, Google Images and you will recognise the place because it's been so well photographed. So Myra introduced me a couple of years ago through Facebook to Elgol, which is one of my favourite places in Skye. So I'm not surprised that she's mentioning another gem on the island of Skye. So thanks Myrid. I hope you're enjoying Australia and I'm sorry I didn't catch up with you when you were staying in the Kyle of Tongue in recent times. Now finally I've already mentioned Bill who was on the walk yesterday and Bill's um, nomination for his favourite place in Scotland is Glasgow Airport and that's quite apt because most of us in Scotland bemoan the climate and we get frustrated with the weather and we very rarely get enough sun to develop any type of suntan so um, giving him the benefit of the doubt here in terms of his sarcasm but he's mentioning Glasgow Airport because we all spend our time escaping Scotland to sunnier climes so Glasgow Airport, Edinburgh Airport, Inverness depending on your location. Scots usually travel to Europe for the sunshine or over to America. These are the destinations that are most easy to get to from Glasgow Airport. So thanks Bill and thanks for yesterday too. So I'm going to give you a little taste of this morning. As I said I woke up at three o'clock in the morning and I was freezing and I put the fire on I was completely exhausted from the walk and I went I went to the toilet, if I'm honest, in the campsite and this, the stars were just amazing. When I say this campsite was quirky, they, they didn't have any lights on in the campsite as such. 
although the street lights, because it's near the main road, there was still the orange glow from the fluorescent lights. But all the stars were out and the Milky Way was out. And I just wish I'd done my midnight walk and then if I'd been fit enough rather than the night before because the, the stars were just fantastic. So I came back into the van and I got my heating on and I lay down on the bed and I've got this fantastic skylight on the roof and I watched the stars and I fell asleep again just for an hour or two and when I woke up the well I'll give you this little recording in a second but the the dawn chorus was just amazing so the dawn chorus let's have a little listen So let's wrap up this episode, it's a bit of a ramble because I'm sitting here drinking a Pinot Grigio and I'm still tired from yesterday. I'd love you to keep in touch with the podcast. You can check out the website at uh, bonnytours.com, try out that new interactive map. I'm still playing around with the settings, there's a few things to fix, but it should be a, a good way to navigate the episodes and if you're exploring Scotland through my map, it will give you some assistance in finding uh, my views on parts of Scotland that I've podcasted from or visited. You can also find me on Twitter, at Bonnie Tours. Jump onto the Facebook page and type in, in the search box, Passing Places Podcast. And I mention every few episodes that you can also find me on YouTube if you want to look at some of my YouTube videos, just type in PMK Challenge, all one word, and you'll find know, 50 or so videos of my travels around Scotland. So I'm going to call it a day here, and as I say, next week I'm off to Port Patrick, lovely little fishing village in Dumfries and Galloway, and 
if you're in Scotland in the near future, if you're in Scotland at any point in the future, hopefully I'll bump into you. And in the meantime, stay safe and I'll play out with a little bit of Myriad Green's Passing Places music. Thanks again. <laughs>